1: So, Guy, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We
2: are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I
1: wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then You're I like, did come up with uh, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a
2: podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes.
1: Anyway, anyway but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon, and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to, just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972, Meta.
2: with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never yeah. heard. Stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Echoes, obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you um, know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you?
1: Yeah, I never met Magnum. was <laughs> Um, Anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk.
2: And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour.
1: We have launched Rock on Extra and you can sign up now.
2: For extra bonus episodes, uh, such as our little special on Andy Rourke and David
1: Crosby. Yeah, whoever, you know, any chat that Guy and I feel like having with each other, which doesn't go on the regular programme.
2: You're invited.
1: You are. And there's some oh, exclusive video clips, apparently. From the likes of Stuart Copeland, Paul Simonon
2: and our recent live show at... Where was it, Gary?
1: At the, oh, I think I've been there before. Yes, the screen on the green. <laughs> and you can only see those if you're a Rock Hunter's subscriber. Plus exclusive listener Q&As. Yes, so you can ask us all about our history. You can ask me if I've ever been to the screen on the green <laughs> or if I've ever seen the Sex Pistols or if Guy has. Have you, Guy? Well, anyway... Um, and you you get early access to more up and coming live events which I'm hoping we will do from the Rock on Tours you can sign up now and find out more at rockontours.com Hello, yeah. good evening. Thank you. This is what you look like.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. se- sex
1: Pistols sounded amazing.
2: They sounded absolutely incredible. Yeah. In fact, I wonder what our good friend David, or as we call him, the Cove, would think. And I must say, that's a big tune.
1: <laughs> now, I, I, I struggled to find my way here, by the way. <laughs> I'd I'd never been here. Well, uh, maybe I have.
2: Well, I was actually going to ease you into that gently, because I know the whole point of tonight is to complete the humiliation that was started three years ago with this series. Um, But the thing is, because apart from this, being here tonight,
1: where we are is
2: very, very much your home turf, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Essex Road, uh, which is just parallel to this street here. And... um, and so this was... I used to walk past here when it was the Rex, going on the way to Chapel Market with my mum down the road. And um, I'd already... Because I sort of already started rehearsals around here with a band. You pointed in, it out, it was a pub around the corner, was it? It was called The Swinging Sporan. and <laughs> <laughs> That's funny nowadays, isn't it? It sounds like a pub out of Viz. <laughs> <laughs> and... Because um, this kind of sets the scene, really, for... for how extraordinary it was when I came here. The scene is, you know, there was so much sort of pub rock going on, and I'd found myself as a 14-year-old in a band with blokes, like, who were 29, 30. And everyone wanted to be... Which now would be seen as suspicious? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The band was <laughs> called The Yew Tree. No, sorry. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, and, and everyone wanted to be American, didn't they? In, that's it, right. Did you have dungarees? No, I didn't have dungarees, no. Uh, you I, had to think about it, though, didn't you? Yeah. Because um, Soul Boys wore dungarees, so I would, may oh, have worn true. dungarees fair. at fair some enough. point. Fair point. Um, but it, it was a kind of Americana double denim thing that was going on, you know? And, and Charlie Gillett on the radio. Charlie Gillett. Remember Charlie Gillett? No. No, never no, mm. mind. <laughs> Uh, it was, yeah, so he'd be playing like Little Fee, and it was Laurel Canyon, and all these all these English bands wanted to be in Laurel Canyon as That's well. Right. Brinsley Schwartz, I mean, who else is there? You can,
2: well, Brinsley Schwartz were kind of earlier than that, that was 1970, really. But we're talking about Ducks Deluxe, um, the Feel Goods, of course, Bearded Lady, Bearded Lady, the Cursal Flyers. Yeah. Um, that was a ray, I think one of them's in.
1: Um. <laughs> and, and so there was this, this pub rock, and I was playing pubs as well. And uh, uh, when I was 15, 16, I was in this band playing pubs. And of course, there's this other thing happening, and I think it was Eddie and the Hot Rods that were sort of the first kind of buzz that I got at the marquee. But even then, you didn't really sense that it was... There was a they were the sort of John the Baptists
2: of punk, weren't they?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a stretch, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who was St. Christ- Christopher? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're not going to go through the
3: whole no, iconography. No. Uh,
1: <laughs> and and um, so, so it, it really felt so strange when you, hear, you, you started to read in the NME and places about, about this band, the Sex Pistols. I mean, for a start, I mean, I remember... Did, do you remember first hearing that name? I, mean, I absolutely
2: name. first... I, and it was a review in NME, I remember first seeing it. And, and the really shocking line was it said, flared jeans are out. And it was like, What? What?
1: Yeah, that was a big thing, wasn't it? That
2: was a really big thing. Yeah. It's, it's now it's, it's impossible to try and explain to your children or anyone the, the fact, the absolute seismic significance of the width of your trousers at the bottom. It was literally life or death.
4: Yeah.
1: And, and so um, I think the first person who told me about this would have been, um, would have been Steve Dagger. So, so at school, um, there was a guy called Steve Dagger, who was a mate of ours, and he was three years older. And um, he was a total mod. Um, before, before the Jam, before Weller, you know, he had he had the mod haircut. He loved Tamla Motown. And what's funny back then, I always
2: and I've never actually asked Steve about this, uh, is that is back then, how did you even know? All I knew about mod was the photo booklet that came with Quadrophenia. That was the beginning and ending of mod. I mean, where did you find? There was no. Where, where did you look it up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember mods floating by on their scooters outside my house because I was I was totally you know drawn to them because there was the pub next door to where I grew up and they they had a mod night every couple of weeks on a mm-hmm. Thursday and all the mods would turn up on their scooters, beautiful. But Steve was really into the managers, wasn't he? You know, That's Steve right. Dad. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, you know. D-
2: As was I, which is why when we first met, it was actually him I became mates with because he was the interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, no, what I mean, I mean it, Steve, it's, it, it, no, because I always had a thing about that, and I think most of us have Is like part of the whole mystique and the whole sexiness of, 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 of British bands, certainly, was, was these characters like Andrew Lou Goldham and Kit Lambert, and, you know, who, who were just insane ideas people.
1: And they look great, too. And they,
2: they look fantastic, and they were as much of the package as the band. And, and I've got to say, the last, and I remember because, you know, when, when I first knew about Spand which was obviously very, very, very early on, but Steve's name came as part of that package,
1: and you're all about him, he was know. the sixth uh, member, yeah yeah, and and so he was one he kind of gave me an education really as I went along in in in, in, in pop music in um, you know in in those great mod managers and uh, you know how Brian Epstein broke the Beatles and you know and Kit Lambert broke the who you know I mean it was it was what he was excited by as much as I was excited about by, by mm-hmm. guitarists and guitar players and so I think it would have been one, um, one weekend. He, 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 we were in the Camden Head, which is just over the road, which is the pub that the Kinks rehearsed in, by the way. We found that out on one of our, our episodes talking uh, to Dave Davis. Yeah. And he just put this flyer out and he went, we've got to go and see this. I can see he's looking at me now. And he said, we've, we've got to go and see this. This is, uh, you know, this is the Sex Pistols. And I don't know how much I grasped what the Sex Pistols were at the time. And Maybe I'd read that review. Well,
2: I Steve said to me earlier, he said, I remember when it was Steve, whoever, came in and said, we're going to go see this band. They're going to be the new Rolling Stones. What are they called? The Sex Pistols. And he said, it just sounded stupid.
1: <laughs> I mean, I thought it was extraordinary because it was great. It was a name I couldn't say in front of my parents, and that's what yeah, rock and roll's exactly. about, right? Um, but he knew about it because, because there was this... Kid in his class, in his year, who had left school early because he loved movies. He was so impassioned by by movies and wanted to make movies. And he ended up making movies. Eventually, he ended up running Palace Pictures, and he's still to this day. He's just flown back from Cannes to be with us tonight. And um, he and Steve Willie—that's a great he, thing to be able to say, isn't yeah, it? At
2: least yeah. once in your life. About yeah, he's flown back from Cannes to be with us here tonight. Thank
1: you. <laughs> and and um, Steve Steve. Got out of school and became Steve Woolley and became assistant manager here under the managership of Rob, Roger Austin, and it was a bit of a scene here, wasn't it, Steve? It was a bit of it was a bit of a st- scene. It was where you know you'd, you you'd have you know late night films running and it was it was a really trendy f- cinema, and he he had told Steve Dagger that the Pistols were going to be playing that night, and um, I mean I think there's a microphone there. You might want to just fill us in a bit, Steve.
4: Yeah, this is Steve so- Dagger. I heard about it from Steve. We 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 used to come and see Steve for a drink at the Swinging Sporran over the road, um, and we would meet during the interval. Steve was busy earlier on getting the movies up, and and once or twice Roger Austin came over to join us for drinks and mentioned this band that his friend Malcolm had, that were going to be the new Rolling Stones, and um, and. Um, then he came in one night and said, I'm gonna put them on at the screen on the green. Um and so that was how I knew about it. And uh Steve, I don't know, you can explain about the Roger and how
1: is Steve Woolley. Steve
4: Woolley, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> um
5: Yeah, no, I I was like like Steve, I was nineteen, you know, like yourself, you know, how old were you, 17, sixteen? Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um Roger was a bit of a force of nature, and he was very, very close to Malcolm. And I had hair down to my bum, and was really into jazz at that time, um, especially sort of Miles, late Miles Davis, so that kind of jazz. It's um, very cinema though, isn't it? Yeah, Coltrane, jazz. Parker, I loved, i had gone moved away from all the music, the, all the stuff that I loved in the early 70s, and was into jazz, and I had no idea what punk was or the Pistols or the Clash and the Buzzcocks. I didn't know any of these people at all, and Roger was used to wear all the sex clothes and um, the leather trousers, and he was at the height of it before anyone, before any of us knew what it, the height of it was. Um, and he announced this all-nighter that was going to take place here at the Screen in the Green, we had to build a stage. The stage was about two planks wide. I mean, imagine about a quarter of what you're sitting on there. And the, the band, had to, the, ba- the three bands, had to precariously balance on it. And they all brought the scaffold in here and built the stage. And it all unfurled before my, eye, my eyes, like it did with you. I mean, I swear, and this, this sounds crazy, but within a week, I'd gone and shorn all of my hair off. The effect of that night was was, was incusiasm on me, personally. Yeah, yeah. And it also politicized me, strangely enough, as it did a lot of people, the punk movement. But I shaved my hair off, dyed it black, went down to a shop called Sex in the King's Road, I bought a pair of Bondi's trousers, and that's it, that summer of 76 was, wow. was extraordinary. And I couldn't believe I was being paid to stand at the back and watch films. And it was a trendy cinema, and it still sort of is, but it actually it's exactly the same building. The loo was just there, the exit is just there where all the kids from Anna Sher, including you probably, Gary, used to bunk in. Well,
1: well, that that loo is important in the story because because I think once during the show, uh, when the pistols were on stage, Johnny pulled the microphone right at the beginning and smashed his tooth,
4: and and at the, towards the end of the show, Steve Dagger, you you were in the loo. Yeah, and he was he was struggling with uh, with, with blood all over his. Um, uh he went, I'm shot. not my fucking too far. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was not happy.
1: Uh, I just think, you know, I was a bit scared. I sat at the back there with Steve and with Steve Norman, who, you know, we formed the band Spandau Valley with. And because the big, the front here was, was quite exotic, extraordinary bunch, you know, it was no one, I didn't know anyone's names. It's like Susie Sue, obviously. Bromley contingent. The Bromley contingent. So there would have been, I guess, I guess uh, Billy Idol was here, but I know Philip Salon was here. All right. They all go up on stage and dance. Sue Catwoman. Sue Catwoman. There, there
5: are actually some great photographs. If you, anyone who wants to go, th- you know, can be bothered to look. You can go on online, and that night was very well. There was a c- terrific photographer here. Yeah. I'm not sure it was, but it's very well captured. And the cinema was full. I mean, a lot of people were uh, here. W- it was yeah. full. I th- yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah.
2: I, I thought the first one wasn't. And then the second no, it was I full. Played. I think what? it was a full. It a was. Lot it people. was
5: pretty much. It was a c- There was a heat. I mean, the, the name Sex Pistols would, you know, that would help. Mm-hmm. I mean, because nobody knew who really who they were. But it was an extraordinary night, and there were reviews. I, me- I remember the, somebody said, Charles Shaw Murray said of The Clash of that night, that there are supposedly a garage band. I suggest they go back into the garage, lock all the doors and turn the car on.
2: Yeah. but the funny thing right, is it was a bit more succinct than that it was uh, they're a garage band who should be sent back to the garage with the engine running yeah <laughs> but but <laughs> the funny
1: thing is guy, I'd never heard of the Clash I'd never heard of the Buzzcocks you know this is the first I think it was the second Clash gig they'd done one private gig Yeah, yeah. Buzzcocks had never played in, in London before and,
2: and uh, Steve you were saying earlier and punk hadn't been coined or co-opted rather because obviously I think the New York New York scene was called punk this yeah. wasn't called punk yeah here.
1: yeah 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 but, um, but and, and, w- and no one was dancing, there was no pogoing. I remember, I mean, gl- listen, they, these boys are going to know everything in a minute. But yeah. from my memory is that everyone was pretty much sitting down. And what was really funny, I thought, was there was this kind of snarling arrogance from the Bromley contingent who were just sort of taking the piss out of, especially of the pistols when they came on. And they yeah. thought it was hysterical. And, um, and there'd be like this banter going backwards and forwards between the band. Nevertheless, it changed my life. But why weren't you there? I
2: was 14, right? And I don't want to get schmaltzy or anything, but I was having, I mean, my father had died literally just over a month before, so I was a bit all over the place. But I had, but to show what the times were, uh, because I did look it up, and and eight days before the gig here, I'd gone to Nebworth to see the Rolling Stones. Right. You were old school. I was old school. Well, Well, we all did. I went to see the Rolling Stones, and my brother went to see Pink Floyd. It was the Rolling Stones with Hot Tuna. and Lynyrd Skynyrd, who I thought were brilliant, and uh, wow. And uh, I can't know who else, I can't remember who else. But what the thing I do remember is, is that the Stones were so late. And It was
5: 10cc as well.
0: 10cc, oh, that's right. CC no, were, and yeah. the Stones
5: came on so late. They were so late. that, they had, that everybody. One, I remember we had, oh, you I were went there? with my friend called Ron, who worked here. Ron and uh, his partner. And we made a chicken with certain special ingredients in it. And we were trying to time, you know, it was our picnic. We were trying to time the consumption of the chicken at the point where the, the stones will come on. But they were so late, and we were so wasted by the time we came on, that I've never forgiven Mick Jagger ever since, actually, because... I'm so sorry you
1: can't see Steve. He's, he's, we we yeah. should have had him up on stage if we'd known. But, <laughs> but but it
5: was it was awful. It was insulting.
1: It was
2: absolutely terrible. In fact, because the people I was with, because it was so late, we had to leave after about three
1: numbers. Well, this was, was late. late this was there. midnight, mate. Yeah, and but it was midnight. We didn't it get out until five a.m. It was light, and my mum and dad were going to go crazy. Yeah, but you were at home. We were in fucking Nebworth.
0: Yeah.
2: And, uh, I was with my mate Martin Glover, uh, who we now know as Youth, and he was actually on holiday with me. We were on a family holiday sailing in Hollyhead, and we'd had to get super double begged permission to come down
1: for this gig from Wales, and then we had to go straight back to fucking Hollyhead. So, the Buzzcocks, I thought, were amazing, you know, because it was quite an art. Unarty band, and in a way, they sort of reminded me well, how Devoto did, because Pete Shelley was only on guitar then, and, and he he wasn't singing at that time, and uh, and and so it was um, Steve was it, playing bass. If right? Steve was playing bass, and Howard, Howard Devoto was was a very sort of arty, kind of Eno-ish yeah. type character, and. Um, I mean, and just ex- extraordinary, succinct songs. I mean, that was the other thing because we were used to watching bands playing guitar solos, and suddenly it was just these these pop tunes that were like over in two minutes. And and I remember the Clash coming on, in in kind of suits that were splattered with kind of Jackson Pollock paint. Boiler suits. Was it boiler suits or suits? Well, I thought it was boiler suits, and then someone said it was suits the other day. So your mind does
5: yeah, yeah. play
1: tricks you know you sort of remember in these 66, faded polaroids don't you um and apparently they there was already competition they didn't want the pistols to know what they were wearing and they went in the back around the backyard to get changed but maybe it's probably because there's no dressing room here <laughs> uh, and then the pistols and the pistols were i mean i just remember steve being you know this guitar hero in fact he had guitar hero written on his on his amp um you know and kind of doing townsend type move i mean that was the thing my memory is, is, is Stepping Stone, because I didn't right. know Anarchy. I didn't know any of those songs, but I knew Stepping Stone, Small Faces. And their the version... Monkeys, the Monkeys. the Sorry, sorry. But there was their no version by Small oh, Faces. Oh, no, on, no, it was Small Faces. And, and I just remember it being... We'll ask Glenn when he comes up. And I remember it being extraordinary. You know, it was such a great moment in the show. I, I left here. I went into rehearsals a few days later with my double denim band. And I said, I'm leaving. I've just seen the most extraordinary thing I'll ever see in my life. And I just want to form another band. And Steve Norman and I went into school the week later and uh, went into the music room um, and, uh, and found a drummer, John Keeble, and found a singer. Be- we chose him because he had a leather jacket and he could have been a punk. And that was Tony Hadley. And we, we, we just played fast you know, versions of Beatles numbers and Who numbers and Small Faces and I started writing. Brilliant. Changed our lives. Seminal gig it was. You,
2: you took a load of Beatles songs and just stuck I don't wanna at the start of the title.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't wanna hold your hand. I don't wanna twist and shout.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't wanna yesterday. We were very serious.
1: Everyone who did punk was fucking
3: serious. I know. I
2: know. Can I just, there's one story, this is your story,
1: right, you but I want to
2: tell it. Yeah. Because it's, it's one of my favourite punk stories ever. Gary telling me about he said, going to see this punk band. And the thing is, there was always, there was always the, the lads in the band, weren't there, who just wanted to do loads of greasy pink sulfate and get pissed. And then there was a really serious one who was the writer. And was it, you said this guy came on and said, I'm really sorry. It's been a really hard day. Things are really tough for me. Uh, my, my dad died. So um, I've written a song about it. One, two, three, four. God, dead dad, dead dad, dead dad. God, dead dad, dead dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a,
1: that's absolutely true. You can't buy that on record anywhere. <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, I think as well. Um, Steve Diggle, the buscocks, he was there. Let's get him on. Welcome to the Rock on tours.
2: Okay, guys, I'm ready. That's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of
3: course, I had gone and found Joni
1: Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I've been sitting in the back of the car coming into London, they're brilliant.
3: That caused a big problem in the band, actually. I was having too much
6: fun.
1: Thank you, guys, for still being around, mm-hmm. still making you're still being into, into it and doing right. this podcast, it, it's, uh, it's fabulous.
3: Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a bite. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music.
1: You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience oh, yeah, to get good at something? When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours.
2: The Rock Hunters Podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt.
3: Keep on rocking! Yes! Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank you for doing this. It's a pleasure. I mean,. Uh, you know, doing this gig, uh, it was our second time in London, but uh, I remember coming there. and, uh, you know, obviously we were based in Manchester and um, everybody in orders was dressed up, you know, the bright orange hair, all the bondage, everything. And I thought, this is crystal, the night here had crystallized punk, really, you know, or the image of it and the clothes and and all the feeling of it, you know, because in Manchester, you know, it was about the music then, and, 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 and punk wasn't that really well-known then, you know. And uh, it was just like, I remember walking here, we were we were sat outside in an old transit van, um, sharing a bottle of cider, cause that's all we could afford, <laughs> you know. And um, walked in there, like I say, everybody was dressed up, all glamorous in the punk stuff. I thought, this is crystallized punk, this is the moment, you know, something's happening with it, you know. But were
2: you thinking of the word, because that's the thing, the Buzzcocks start, you were just in like complete isolation, is that what it felt in Manchester? And was it this thing of we desperately need something new or there was just,
3: you were just starting a band? Um, you know, yeah, the landscape was barren really, you know, musically for everybody really. It was like, you had bands like Yes and stuff like that, but it, even all that progressive stuff had run its course really. And you're coming up to it 21, and there was a million people on the doll who coming up, who were attending it, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you need some excitement, you know. And, you know, I'd grown up in the 60s, but you know, little Richard and um, Chuck Berry, and all, you know, the Kinks, the Beatles, the Who, the oh. So I was a kid. Yeah, the Three Seasons, all that stuff. Sorry,
2: you had three scooters, didn't you? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were the
1: you were a mod, you you were were a mod before you? before, yeah, before yeah. Weller.
3: No, but, but you but you weren't uh, before when well, I'm four years older. Than me. It's his birthday, Dick. Eh?
2: It is. <laughs> <It laughs> is. Happy birthday, Paul. about that,
3: I did mine two weeks ago. Oh. Roll, oh.
2: But, but, but you but you were like Steve. You were, you were you were a mod not a mod time. You were just
3: you were. I was a th- mod. The thing was, I, I um, I worked in a garage for a couple of weeks selling petrol to get some money, so I had a scooter. Then a guy came in and uh, he said, give me 16 pound for an LI-150, the quarterfina scooter. I had a TV-175, so I got that. A few weeks later, a priest came in. (laughs) He said, I've got an old scooter, (coughs) you know, in the vestry or whatever it is. And uh, I gave him four quid for it. It it, it was a Vespa GS, real clenched design. Yeah, to clean the bats off. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Vesper from the Vestry. <laughs> <Yeah>. Legend,
1: legend <laughs> is that you you were um, sort of at the Lesser Free Trade Hall. The famous.
3: Yes. famous but Your first so ever gig so was at the Lesser so Free Trade Hall. Yeah, but yeah, but were the you there on the first one? Just seeing yeah. the Pistols. Yes. Oh, so that, that's where that's where I met Pete and Howard. That's where we all met. Um, what happened was, um, so I'd lost my school licence. Um, I won't go into the details of that. But oh, go on. So I did no, a weekend no. in jail. You know. It was my Kierkegaard moment of realization that I've got to do, you know, I was in solitary confinement, you know, like Jesus in the wilderness. I was 17 <laughs> years old. And I thought, I've got to figure out what I do in my life. I've ended up in a jail, <laughs> only for a weekend. <laughs> I've been in worse motels in the early days. But I mean <laughs> and I um, thought, so, you know, now I'm grind- grounded to the pub and the guitar. I'd bought a six pound Spanish guitar, but I was forever, you know, picking girls up on the scooters. So I started to think, um, you know, uh, I I played a six pound Spanish guitar. So what I realized, every time you had to tune up with the pitch pipes and all that kind of stuff, every time I tuned this guitar, I played a chord and and it went out of tune. But what I realized, I learned to play Beethoven's life on on one string and a bit (laughs) on the other, a bit on the other. Said, they're, they're, and so I started just jamming on two notes everywhere, you know. And it wasn't the boredom, I, beginning of
1: the boredom solo,
3: was but, but it? That, <laughs> that kind of thing. So but the thought that it, that actually cut that, that, that <coughs> this one,
2: one of those brilliant like, things, isn't it? That this fantastic two note guitar style, yeah, absolute strict stripped minimum, it comes from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Well,
3: it was just like, you know, which actually don't want to get too political, but it's actually your, the
2: anthem of the European Union, using
3: your limitations and all that stuff. But it, I mean, if it wasn't for that guitar. There's other things, you're jamming on two strings, and um, in all Buzzcock songs, it's almost like a separate motif somewhere, you know, a little guitar tune of its own, you know. Apart from that two-note one, you know, it's sprinkled all up. And I realized about five years later, or when we got going, it, it all comes from that guitar. If I'd have had a Les Paul, like the posh kids in Cheshire had, you know, I, w- I want to come up with that, you know, in the face of adversity and stuff and everything else. I come up with that. The post kids sold their Les Pauls and they're going. No, oh, I'm do- I'm going skiing now, you know. So, Steve, that. what did you think? Sorry for a pair of skis.
1: What did you so, think when
3: you saw the pistols? Were you, uh, that uh, first yeah. gig. So the next thing, I found a guy in the paper. you <clears throat> I found a guy in the paper. I thought I'd written a, this song, "Fast Cars," and a couple of things. I was rehearsing with a couple of guys around the corner but they had jobs I knew they didn't mean it you know you had to know where you were going with this stuff or have, you know you had to be a bit defiant with it and everything they was just doing it as a like a hobby and I thought I phoned a guy on a paper I was, uh, uh, and I said meet me outside the Free State Hall because there's a good pub around the corner Cox's bar I'm stood outside the Free State Hall there's a bloke in the, like the Elvis Elvis revival stuff in all leather Malcolm McLaren, said Ah, yeah, yeah. Full leathers, yeah. Yeah, full leather, you know, that Elvis kind of. And he said, they're in the sex business. I said, I don't know, I've heard of that, but, I, you know, I'm going to meet someone, I'm forming a band. Because my motive at the time was, I went to form a band like The Hooves, smash the guitars, tell the audience to fuck off, and all that, you know. I didn't need Johnny Rotten to tell me that, and knew, you know, you, you had a hard time in Manchester growing up, you know, fighting in the bars and all the things. And me reading Proust and Dostoevsky, and the sofa, and my mum going, "You need to get a job. You can't be doing that." (laughs) (laughs) I got crucified, you know what I mean? And um, so I'm sitting outside the free terminal, and um, he said that they're in here. I said, "What what do you mean?" So somehow I followed him in. You know, he said they played "Substitute" by The Who, and I thought, "Well, that sounds good." I went went through the doorway. Pete Shelley's collecting tickets on the door. So we had a quick chat and I said, I'll meet you in the bar. And then they was expecting somebody else. <laughs> they'd, they'd put an ad in some magazine. So we're talking across purposes in the bar. I thought, I, th- I remember saying something's on the phone, but not, you know, it didn't, it didn't all make sense. But it was like a Brian, Brian Rick's phone. Oh, right. we <laughs> <remember that? laughs> but we sat at the back that first Sex Pistols gig was kind of empty. I think there was only about 20 people there, really. It was 18, isn't it? 18, well, it is, 18 the, is the number apparently. Yeah, yeah. I didn't count them, it.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> we sat in the back going, you know, let's write our own songs, so you know, talking about forming the group as we're watching the Sex Pistols, you know. And, um, well, so you weren't paying
2: attention to them at all? <laughs> well, we were, not no, no, like, sure.
3: you know, the powerfulness of Steve Jones' guitar, you know, Glenn's bass banging away, and this kind of bloke that looked like, with horrible teeth, a little like, you know, an extra from the New York Dolls or something, you know, running and raving. You've got to remember that was so new at that moment in time, you know. You know, because on the old Grey Whistle says they started playing lutes, liars, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> Dressing in cod pieces and that—it was a long <laughs> way from Little Richard. you
4: remember, like, hold on a minute.
3: I used to love the Whistle chest, seeing the Stones and the people uh. like that and there. Suddenly, so in cod pieces and playing—you know—it's like I'm in Elizabethan time.
1: And did you meet? Did you meet uh, Howard and and Pete? So there? yeah, so, so
3: uh, you know, I, I met Pete there. We're talking about we we sat at the back watching that first Pistols gig, talk, and and also Howard. I think he was doing the likes, yeah. Because they'd they'd sort of semi put it on, hadn't they? They they yeah they. I think it was Howard was on some college course, met them in the, in a club in Chelsea or whatever. they was kind con- of you know, they they probably had like a column inch in the enemy at the time. You know, there's a little band played in Chelsea to make all the sex business. Uh, I would Howard met them and said, um, "If you want to you know, if you want to do a gig in Manchester, we'll put some pulses up," and um, and so that's what they did. And, and and I met them there, you know, and. Um, a couple of weeks later, maybe a month or so later, uh, they came back. Uh, but by this time, we, we'd rehearsed and we opened up for them. You know, hang on, two weeks. Well, I mean, a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, few, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And um, I'm 68. The times, you know. <laughs> sounds <time's what>, <laughs> to me now? What, what, what I don't t- know. I'm going to live or I'm going to die. You know. I mean, I mean, I mean midface. Is that
2: the one? The second one. Is that the one where where um. No, no. I think that was the first one that everyone was at. But old yeah, told us it was. A, was it the second one where basically the split up with Howard happened on stage? And there was a fight. No. On no. stage. Oh,
3: the second one. No, no, no. No, there was no fight. yeah.
1: But you had the sort of songs from Spiral Scratch, and, and
3: and at that point, didn't you, when you came to play yeah. here? Well, yeah, the day after I met them, uh, the guy I was supposed to meet, the guy they were supposed to meet. We didn't meet them. They were still outside. They're probably still He's there. They're still no. there, yeah. They're probably <laughs> still there. Um, so the next day, I, I went, to, um, went to Howard's uh, flat and um, me, Pete and Howard uh, re- re- rehearsed orgasmatic boredom and stuff like that. Through one little amp, you know, um, Howard was screaming away. I was on the bass. You know, Pete doing a guitar. It sounded terrible, but it was exciting. Yeah, but you just
1: said orgasmatic, boredom. Or, yeah. I mean, these are songs that are still really inside
3: me. I know so and well. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, All kids right, making it. It come out, it's one little amp with three of us plugging into it, you know. We was always interested in noise as well. There's always some discordant bits in the, busco- the lot. Busco- well, there are, but, you, but also, but what, what's the
2: interesting thing is, um, I remember when I first discovered the buscots was, was it was this...
3: Beautiful, perfect pop, buried in it as oh, well. Yes, That's exactly one thing well you yeah. had above yeah. everyone else. Well, both me and Pre you know, it, we was that sixties generation growing up with the Beatles, Stones, all them people. Uh, but we, um, you know, we like to on it underground for the arty things, and also, um, you know, we like Can and Noi and all that kind of stuff as well. Actually, when we first met, um, we went out for a night and saw Can in uh, Manchester University. Um, me, Howard, and Pete, you know.
1: Because there is something very arty about coming up with a song called Boredom and having two notes as the guitar solo that go on 60-odd times. Well, yeah. And I, think it comes I, from I mean, you're making
3: sort of a statement. Yes. Yeah, you know, I forget which philosopher or what sort of existential book, but the, the sense of boredom comes from that. And then the orgasm would well, have come from a William Burroughs kind of thing. So there's those elements, you know. Can I it just say, right.
2: this, this is fantastic. We're talking, we come in to talk about this night of Anakin Kell. So far, your references that you've come out with tonight have been Proust, Dostoevsky, Beethoven, Yeats, Stockhausen and yeah. Burroughs. Yeah. Mate,
3: yeah. you are the well, most
2: arty-cultured person I've ever met in my life.
3: I'm as working class, <laughs> as, <laughs> I'm as, working class as they Don't come. Don't go home, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the that was the difference with Buzzcocks. But then again, Joel Stummer was nicking things from books, you know, and all that stuff. But it wasn't that. Well, for me, as a working class kid, you know, I wasn't good enough to be a footballer. I used to get my head kicked in, you know, in the pubs. You know, there's a lot of fighting going in them, in them pubs, and so the books was a refuge and an answer. So they was that was important. I'd, I'd buy a record and I'd buy a book, you know. You buy the hit single of Dostoevsky. Listen, along with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. on, you know. People in punk. But that was your only defence, wasn't it, a working class yeah. guy? Yeah.
1: People in punk don't normally mention him, um, but was Bowie in your life.
3: Oh yeah. yeah, massive. I've still got the ticket from when I went to see him, and um, yeah, you know, because you know Bowie was experimental, inspirational. And, and massive he introduced
1: movement. diggy Pop to us, really, didn't he? Yes. Um, yes, he and did. And Lou Reed.
3: Because people used to say had the Stooges album, nobody could get it anyway. You know, you could get you know fun house and uh, all that kind of stuff for for ages. You know, you'd hear it in 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 a club. Some DJ might have had it, but it was very hard to get hold of. But um, I remember listening to Diamond Dogs with Pete when we first met. He had a you know he was living in a basement and uh, you know we'd uh, we'd listen to Diamond Dogs and stuff like that. And I know Pete was very influenced by Bowie as well. You know, I mean it was so he was a massive influence. When you know. when you finished that night your
1: set, mm. um did you um did you go straight away or did you sit and watch it's the lo- clash?
3: I remember like I say, we sat outside in a transit van and uh, came out it got an a van to come in and uh, Mick Jones was at the door and he had a black coat with a, a mirror broken, you know. And I thought, is that unlo- is that lucky or <laughs> And I can still remember that pitch, and he's like, all right, Steve, nice to meet you, you know, and all that. Because I'm a massive class fan, you know, and it, 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 same as the pistols. But uh, I can still visualize that moment, you know.
1: Just out there, you'll walk past the ghosts later.
2: Because You've me. already said Van, because I was wondering, because you said this is like your third gig or something, whatever you, Yeah, we, said, we'd done
3: the Roxy about a month before. I googled it up today. Cause
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, you never Wikipedia yourself, because you just keep saying stuff about yourself that just isn't true. Um, But, because I was wondering, could you've already said- Oh, no, they say we
3: started in Bolton. I didn't go to Bolton until I was 37.
1: To get on the guy who you know certainly helped change my life when he was when in the in the starring act saw him as that wee boy didn't we just a minute ago on the screen
2: little cherub I know little cherub
1: (laughs) he's still a lovely man Um, and gorgeous let's get him on Glenn Glenn
2: Matlock. Matlock.
6: Casting one, two. Hello. Hey, You're a former rock on tour as well. Yes. You've done this before. Yes, I was one of your earlier ones, I think. You were. I did volunteer myself because it was in the middle of lockdown. I thought, I've got to do fucking something. Oh, they're doing that. <laughs> I'll see if they want somebody. But nice, you know yeah. what? We, yeah,
2: quite... we, we felt that. We felt that. Yeah,
6: it probably came across. <laughs> but you know what has come across to me is, somebody was saying earlier that there was no stage here. There was no stage here when we first played and the clash played on the consideration that they built a stage and they said oh we'll hire a stage and we said no no you got to build it and then when we did walk on the stage i realized it probably wasn't a very good idea because it was like ready ramshackle you know imagine mick jones with a spanner <laughs> they, they built something that would hold for their set but no longer probably yeah. <laughs> It wasn't the stage. No, it was, it was um, something else and it's a lot higher than it used to be. Oh. And there was loads and loads of kind of scuzzy the, the, I
1: mean, there was a rumor that, that, that the Clash and the Buzzcocks didn't get the, I don't want to start a fight here now, boys. No, do, go on. But the, uh, the, the Clash and the Buzzcocks didn't get the full PA. And because you had your sound guy out there and the, and the Sex Pistols got the full well, that's kind yeah, of that's standard. A of no, 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 that's Steve, stand back. Standard. That
6: seems to be what goes Standard, on. Right. But I'm always this side of PA, so <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what it was like. But probably you have to speak to Dave Goodman or Kim Thraves, who were our sound guys at the time. And if you're you ever two, see any pictures sound But the thing is, you, well, they, 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 it. Had, they had a PA company, be, oh, no, no, and of. they had a van. and Dave Goodman was kind of you know, he's a pretty good sound guy. He used to play bass, and we played in like kind of soul bands and stuff. And he knew the ropes around England and Kim was his sidekick. But if you ever see any early pictures of the Sex Pistols, you know, the I mean, roadies and stuff, there's a guy who's like a really well-dressed cat weasel. And that's Kim Thraves. He was like this really ace kind of hippie. And it was kind of funny with bell-bottom trousers and a little beard and long hair. And, yeah, so it was a real strange kind of- um But when you see that film that we played earlier, are you
1: completely separated from that now? You're immune to it. You've seen it so many times. Or does it does it still give you
2: the buzz? It's, it's
6: a long time ago now. That that you're talking about the anarchy. It still gives it. me a buzz.
1: And, yeah,
2: and that's a mime, isn't it? That one. Yeah, and that was actually. And, and you
6: break a string, which is
1: quite impressive on a Why mime. What that? I yeah, it looks string. like you've. No, like he, no, no. He breaks his string on. Um, on the uh, no,
2: the one we just watched it. I saw it. There's a bit where he's got a broken. Well, then he's string. always
1: breaking his string. because he, yeah. he breaks his might Well, I'm spr- a it might so it
6: goes. I say bass string. players breaking
2: strings
1: is. Well, impressive. Hang on, yeah. I didn't come yeah. here
6: to be insulted about. <laughs> I'm right. Not, you're being <laughs> I complimented. Didn't break a string on it. <laughs> you're being it complimented. Might, it might, it might that's a compliment, sp- mate. It might have been spittle <laughs> hanging down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you invite a punk, if that's well, that what you want, that's what's going to happen, right? Was it Frank Buff spittle? Yeah, it's probably mine. But that that um video was shot by um oh right well, mansfield Frank mansfield yeah wow. and it was quite when well, we went there and, it, the and he shot it i think before we was he was doing supersonic a bit later on we just went in and out of the studio we'd signed to emi by then and he made john stand behind paul deliberately and it really <laughs> really annoyed john that's, and that's uh, so he got a great performance out of him for it, which was kind of cool. Because it
2: actually, it's great seeing Cookie that much. It's really... Good. Well, yeah, Yeah. why not? It's
6: the Dave Clark Five, of punk. Right? Was so it the was only <laughs> one of them. <laughs> but was
1: it the band that you imagined you wanted to be in when you... I mean, what I mean by that is because you'd, you'd, you'd ha- done those f- a few gigs and it was a lot of the the crowd, Vivian and Malcolm's kind of shop crowd and, and Bromley Contingent as we know them. It didn't kind of look like... Was it the lads you wanted or...?
6: I, I didn't really know... What I wanted, to do. I think all of us in the band, when we started uh, to play and get something together, ori- very originally, when I met Stephen Paul, I overheard that I was looking for a bass player, and I actually said, not that I'm a bass player, I said, I've got the bass. right? And they said, oh, what bands do you like? And I said, I like the Faces, and that was their favourite band. And about a week later, I went with my girlfriend at the time to the... Gomont State Theatre in Kilburn High Road, and Ronnie Wood was doing a gig, I think it was the new Barbarians thing. Right, and I had really cheap tickets, so I automatically went right up, you know, one level, up the next level, up the next level, but the lights were off, so he obviously hadn't sold the thing out. And just as I was going back down to the next level with Julie Billiard from Kensal Green, uh heard this scurrying going, it was kind of nice, and all of a sudden it was Stephen Poole and a couple of their mates from Shepherds Bush, they bunked in over the roof, they were all covered, and I thought, and these are the guys I was going to start playing with. I thought, <laughs> I like these guys, they've got something going for them. <laughs> you know, and at that stage, Steve was having a go at being the singer, and he was like a bad version of Steve Ellis, kind of really, or Tom Jones, and it wasn't quite right, but he started learning the guitar, and then we found John. but. We just knew what we didn't like. We didn't want to, You know, we were talking about Genesis and Yes and all that. We didn't want to be like that. We didn't want to be like something else. But we was going to do it anyway. And it just came out how it came out. You were saying about that Beatles thing earlier on, I don't want to hold your hand. You know, we'd learn covers. And sometimes you get it right. Sometimes they're a bit too hard. And it sounds like something else. And that's the process of beginning songwriting. Well, Substitute was another one. We'd learned to play a little bit. More by then, but you know, it was all songs with no, you know, no fun. We was hip to the stooges. I'm not your stepping stone. We did, um, uh, what you're gonna do about it by the small faces, oh, that's I was and, and yeah. John's yeah. staying to so I, I want you to know that I hate you oh, well, yeah, exactly. As just... only he would, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, so it was that, but he was starting to write, and then he was going on about Dostoevsky and people like. <laughs> I mean, I had that kind of thing. I, I was into the, the French kind of writers, you know, like Camus and, um, and Jean Cocteau. That was, you know, you say you're a fan of the rich as you told me in the... Quite, yeah, always. I mean, Ghost of Princes and Towers is heavily influenced by Les Enfants Terribles by Jean Cocteau. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're a working-class bloke, it doesn't mean you can't read a book. You yeah, I read
3: them because I thought when they come from as interviews, Oxford and Cambridge, we'll fucking have them. You know it, know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I so know well, though, Fucking don't no talk to me about Plato. Oh, we'll fucking have you.
1: I think you're right because I think we we would go and have those books yeah. as weapons. Yeah, that's proof what it was. That we were greater than they thought we were. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was knowledge was was, was yeah power. Knowledge, knowledge power, is power.
3: That was it. You know, because you. Fucking grow up in a tub like yourself, around the corner, of the, you know. Right? it's like That was one of the only strengths along with your guitar. It's like, "We well, fucking come through us with that. You want to know about something? You know what I mean? Uh, we uh, deal with that shit, but we got the song. That's, that's true. Well, but but al- amazing, also, Alanis, you know, when, when
6: punk was starting out, when the people, you lived in the suburbs or something like that, and one of them, the no, marks, I'm calling, Dave. It was putting us up for the night. Because people used to walk around with a toothbrush in their top pocket. It meant you had nowhere to kip, you know. And that. But there was cinemas that had late-night movies or all-night movies on, and it saved you having to get the last train home and stuff. But there was here. There was the, the electric, but the electric as well. And um, where? Acklam Hall, which then became Subterranea, And it was like a social club thing. But they would have all-night movies on. But they always showed um Cocktails, Belle and La Bette, you know, stuff like that. Zero de conduit by it. So it was all that kind of French kind of thing going on. And in fact, I remember sitting in the Acklam hall with Mick Jones and there's a scene in um, La Belle and La Bette where it's a bit like the princess and the, you know, in, um, I don't know, the, the ugly sisters or something, but she's Cinderella. got two brothers and she's been enticed up to the, to the castle to meet the beast. And they're taking a mickey out of her in French with subtitles. And the subtitle comes up, she goes, you two are just wastrels. And Mick Jones turned to me and went, that's us. Because they were trying to get their thing together at the time. And there was another thing going on. The, the, me, I, our first, it's not a secret, about our first Pistols gigs were our art schools, which I booked. some yeah. you know, St Martin's, Central School of Art. So those people were part of the coterie thing, as well as the Bromley contingent. People yeah. as well, so it was all a mixture of people who didn't quite know what they wanted to do, but they were trying to find them buy themselves some breathing space to work it out with some like minded people. And I, I mean, thought it was a very cool kind how of how
1: you ended up as a with a job at such a strange clothing shop. And w- was it was it like outrageously expensive? Could normal kids afford that kind of, well, kind of thing? Things no, are only
6: outrageously expensive if you haven't got any money, right? For a start, so let's. It's a sliding scale. Bondage pants
3: were eighty quid. I remember going. You could buy a house in Manchester for eighty quid. As well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, like I said, I, it was. It honestly, was, I remember going Vivian, to that shop Vivian and Vivian thinking, Westwood "Fuck!" Prices, you know, it's like it's on a scale. My my, my brother yeah. would
3: buy a shirt. He was at all university. He'd, he'd, he'd rip the sleeve off a pink shirt, rip it off, and spray paint it. Thirty pence, you know. That's the way to
6: do it. And, and, then, um, and then Vivian would sell it for thirty quid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
3: But it had to be done, didn't it? It's like the 60s block of flats They had to be built to realize it didn't work. you know. Yeah. And
6: the other thing like that, you were saying about the Clash hiding around yeah, the corner with their clothes. I reckon they did it because they didn't want to show me. Because I ended up living in Denmark Street with Steve Jones, where we used to rehearse. And I had a pair of drain drainpipe trousers, the only ones I had from Malcolm's. And although I got them a bit cheaper, they were still a lot of money out of my one day a week's work at, at, um, at the store me and Steve decided to paint the ceiling. We decided that I ended up having to do all the work. And I got white paint on the black jeans and I couldn't get them off. Now, a few years before that, I remembered an episode of a hospital program called Emergency Wall 10. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And there was a scene in it where one of the nurses spills ink down a light blue nurse's top. So she, she can't get it out, so she dyes it dark blue. And she got in trouble because that was the matron's colour to wear the dark blue top. But I <laughs> thought, I can't get this, this paint Pump off. Was born, I just it. put more paint on it, right? And I came up with a Jackson Pollock idea. And then Paul Similand, who's since admitted that, he nicked my idea for that. Thanks. So I Has think no, so I never out of that was had that because they didn't... It's a rock on
2: tour scoop for you people. Yeah. That's amazing. Front yeah. page
6: but on the other hand, I will admit... That Jackson Pollock actually came <laughs> up with Jackson Pollock. <laughs> <laughs>
5: how,
2: how many, how much did you gig before you played here? We
6: probably done about 20 shows before then in art colleges, weird kind of places. We did a, we hired a sex club in El Paradiso in Soho. We'd possibly been up north. When, when did we play in Manchester? I can't even remember that. You We've you been there to was Liverpool. A scene, no, Pardon? There was
1: a scene. Did you feel there was a scene happening?
6: No, only what we was the only place I thought there was a scene. And I was up in Liverpool the night before last, and sort of chatting about this. And we played at a club called Eric's, and we played upstairs, and there weren't that many people there. Possibly so, but I I can't remember meeting him then. And um, we was packing up the van because we had to drive back over the night. And I wanted to get another beer to take with me, and there was these stairs, and I went down, and there was all these people down there. Who hadn't come to our gig and there was a band going on. And there was a band called The Yachts. And there was people like Clive Langer and Betty Bright there and Jane Casey. And there was a scene. And I was like, from London, hey, they've got a scene outside London, you know, a bit kind of big headedly. That was the first place that I saw something else going on. And then when we went to Manchester yeah. a bit later on, we yeah. kind of realised there was a.
3: Well, it's a Manchester team, virus was doing the gig with you suddenly Manchester came alive, you know. Well, you sort of kick-started that, didn't you? And then that inspired all the provinces. Then there was a Scottish scene, a Liverpool scene. But it started in Manchester. I think punk started in Manchester because when you guys played and we opened up for you, all the journalists came down for the free fucking drinks and all the, you know, the hotel, all that. And reviewed us, you know, reviewed you, you know, coming to review you guys and was surprised that we were there and Put us on the map as well, but that was the first real publicity, I think. You know, so if Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I think punk was born in Manchester. Really, oh. you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, you Even though I've lived in London half my life, you know. Well, now.
1: Well. Uh, were you nervous? Uh, did you think, oh, you know, Christ, the Clash are too good, and, and was there any sense of that? Off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, listen. we fought the Clash? Without, a no, oh,
1: doubt, pistols blew everyone away. Well, that, that's, that's, that's why. I was talking about one at
6: a out of time. One at a time. Yeah. Talking
3: about the clothes. The Clash were posh, really, because I remember Bernard Rhodes coming with all that, you know, zips and designer jeans. Like we had a fucking shop at oxfam you know what I mean? Yeah, black shoes for thirty pence, spray them green, and, so. and then Bernard been there with all the smart going I've got you the new white outfits <laughs> for the zips. <soap." laughs> no, like, fucking hell.
1: Yeah. No, but
2: the, the reason i asked about how many gigs done before you played it is because it, there's you know there's recording of, of this gig is and that? you're perfect yeah you're done it sounds like the album it sounds it sounds really really polished and really powerful it's as good as w- the album well,
6: we, we worked at it you know we worked at being simple really yeah and um oh, also interesting? and, and practice we had nothing better to do apart from me we was lucky enough to have our own rehearsal place on denmark street we would get together nearly every day, if only to find out nobody's got a new idea. But you didn't have to wait a week to then go somewhere else and take all your gear there, set up, start playing to find out nobody's got a new idea. And it would take, well, you haven't got an idea, we well, haven't got a fucking idea. Well, you, you'd come up with one, and you'd come up with And you do it again the next day, and you'd go over and over
3: it, and we got good. Was it being you, or was it an act? I mean, did We're you, sorry did you fe- develop some kind of image thing? Or, you know, do you think, well, you know to be the same. You know, because kind of outrageous as well, wouldn't it, you know? Well, Did you develop that, or just get in the room and
6: go, it, wow? No, it's just we picked. It's natural. You well, know, he was hanging out at Malcolm's shop. I was working there. People would take what they looked from. I mean, originally, it was a teddy Boy shop called Letty jo- jo- Rock. But, but, you know, but Johnny and it, had an extraordinary and It started moving to become, becoming sex. i kind of help make the sign and st- <laughs> stuff. And there was all these weird kind of people coming in. But people would take what they fancied from it. And then add to it. And then when we met John, he kind of had that kind of safety pin thing going on. But he kind of got that from Ian Dury.
3: Did he get it from Ian Dury, the safety pin? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Or the, or never the, knew that.
6: the razor blade knocking down. Yeah. So, hanging down from his earl. But there were certain things. There was the pub rock thing. And yeah, most of these bands wanted to be part of the Laurel Canyon scene. And if you've ever gone up there, it's not that much cop anyway. Right? But some, there were a few things that were good. Like the feel goods. Kilburn and the Arrows, which then became the Blockheads. The Stranglers were on the tail end of that. They were kind of cool. There was a few other things going on as well. And I was a big fan of a band called the Sensation Alex Harvey Band, who really knew how to put on a show. In fact, I went to see them at the London Palladium. I saw them from in front of like four or five people at Fulham Palace Road, ground and, Well, actually, this is funny. And I started following their career, and I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they come in Malcolm's shop when I was working there, like through the week once, and it was in the winter, and it's probably October, November, so it was cold outside, and they got overcoats on, right? And as I'm serving them, and Chris Glenn used to get, he had his droogie look, he would get like Dago socks from there and stuff to go with his codpiece, but it was a a, a, a droogie kind of um, taking a rise out one. I'm serving them door bursts open and Malcolm comes in carrying a delivery of boxes and he saw him aghast. He said, Glenn, out the back. I said, what? Who's these guys? I said, they're a band. He said, they're not a band. Now in fairness to them, they got big coats on. Alex Harvey at the time had sort of national service specs on and stuff. Bear with me for a minute. So he could have been a tax- collector and Chris Glenn and Zal Clemenson could have been his, his thugs with him, right? And he said, I said, who do you think? No, he said, they're tax collectors. I said, they're not, they're a band. <laughs> he said, no, they're tax collectors, get them out. So I said to the guys, I said, look, my mates had a bit of brainstorm, go and have a pint. It will be gone. And I'll come back and serve it, which is what they did. And I think they went to the robot. A few weeks later, uh, the they'd sort of had a hit with Delilah in the meantime. And I took, or I organized, going with my mate Nick Cash from St. Martins Art College, who ended up as the drummer, he's the drummer and the, the members now and stuff, Bernard Rhodes and Malcolm to see the Alex Harvey Band at Hammersmith Odeon to prove that they weren't tax collectors. <laughs> <laughs> now I dig this, and we, Malcolm wasn't involved with the band at the time. Stephen Paul were always trying to get him involved and he kind of humored us. And while I'm sitting there, he said, how much did it cost to get in? I said, oh, seventy-five 75 pence or something like that. He said, well, how many people does it hold? Two thousand, two and a half thousand went, Let's have a meeting about the band in the morning. <laughs> and that's really what happened.
1: Wow, that's a
6: great so story. He could sniff the spondulics.
1: Why, why do you think this was such a special gig? What was it about this night?
6: Well, because it was an event. It was, you know, we was playing in a theater. We knew Roger um, from before. You know, when he worked and hang out with Malcolm, you know, there was always something going on after work finished on a, for me, work anyway, on a Saturday evening. We didn't finish till 7 seven thirty, So you go and have a bite to eat, you have a pint. I oh, was going, oh, there's a movie on the, the screen on the green. Roger will get us in. He was mates of Malcolm. So we were getting for nothing. And we would see whatever the movies were around at the time. Probably somebody mentioned Electro Glide in Blue or something like that. So we, we was kind of aware of it, and it seemed like a buzzy kind of place. And Malcolm arranged this thing with Roger, and I think Roger kind of wanted something to maybe sort of be involved with Malcolm and Vivian a little bit more well, somehow. But
3: also, it, what was magical around this night was um, for a pound, <laughs> I think it was a pound, was yeah, it? Pounds again. Um, um, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, Clash, and Buzzcocks all in one night, you know. Amazing moment, you know, a moment yeah. in time of all those bands that went on to do all the things that we've and done.
1: It, was, it wasn't just the bands, because I, I remember think. at the end- Oh, it was the audience as well. Bill yeah. Salon and Susie getting
3: up and- Oh yeah, with the Nazi thing so doing all All that.
1: getting up on stage.
3: Yeah. Oh, no, no, no one
2: right. seems to remember what time they went on. How long, cause you you can't remember when
6: Not it really, I think it, just yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <late. It> seems <laughs> um at some time in the evening, a bit later. What I do remember <laughs> more than anything else, though, was you mentioned about John chipping his tooth. I think he actually had a cap, and it fell out. And we stopped the set while Susie and the Bromley contingent right. looked for the cap for his tooth. tooth. <laughs> I remember that. And I'm saying to John, "Get on with it." He said, "I pay good money for it." <laughs> and um, I think maybe Susie ended it. But
3: back how to amazing those three bands that night, and then you you had the Damned and the Jam. That was in '76. That was. That was the whole punk scene, really. Yeah. You know, they were catalysts, the vanguard of a whole lot. Well, whether you, you like know it or not. We all wrote the script, I think, all of us, those bands, all the other ones, you know, reenacting the script now, the ones that came later. But that moment in time in 76, you know, going to 77, these, you know, all these phenomenal bands, I don't know what, what it was in the air or what, it, you know, how these epoch things happening in, in time, it's like. Fuck, all them great bands, all right at the moment, right here, right now. And, and,
1: and for a long time to come afterwards. Because, yeah. you know, I can honestly say, if it wasn't for coming that night, I, yeah. I wouldn't have gone on and had any career in the music business like I did. And I don't think, you know, it re- It certainly reverberated down the years. I think we should um, if, see if anyone yes. wants to ask Steve and Glenn... Some questions, is that right, guys? Yes, I think so I, think so.
2: I think it's going to. Be, um, although I've got one okay. tiny little Muso point I wanted to make about the recording of this gig. This is going to be really boring, I'm afraid. When you play Anarchy on the recording of this gig, Steve sounds like he's got a flanger on. He and had it a flanger. Does and yes. It's like I just remember thinking, was that allowed? <laughs> you well, did Nick
6: well, well, actually actually, do you know what happened? Was well, Steve was a right tea leaf? He was like something out of Jean Genet book. <laughs> right and, and uh, early uh, uh, early on, we went somewhere and we went to see the flaming groovies, right? Uh, um, Dingwalls, I think, and there was like May and Steve, the girl from the slits. Um, Harry up?: No oh, Viv. Vivian Albertine, Viv- Keith Levine and I had some Mick Jones, we had' a squat. and so we went back for a drink and a funny cigarette or something like that. We got there, Steve, he's got this brown sort of tan leather attache case. What you got there? Well, I got it from the gig, didn't I? I What do you mean you got it from the gig? Where? From the dressing room. Right? So we opened it up. Not only has it got all the Flaming Groovy's takings, who were our friends. (laughs) It's got all their tickets. And their passports. Fuck! <laughs> and a phase pedal, right? And we, me and Vivian said, this isn't right. And we found out where they were staying at a hotel, Portman Square Hotel. And we arranged a rendezvous that we would leave it. This is about four o'clock in the morning by then. We would leave it behind the third tree on the left while we hid behind the fourth tree on the right and watch them come out and got it. And we gave them it back because of me and Vivian. But Steve said, All right, we can give it back. He said, But I'm keeping a phase pivot.
3: <laughs> and it was a
6: phase 45, and that's what he. Everybody thought it was a phase 90, but it was a phase 45, and
3: that's what and he was. if they put that said.
1: in Pistol, they wouldn't have believed it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it did sound good, that phase, you didn't it? Yeah, it filled <laughs> the sound it's
1: out of it. Um, have we got any, any questions from the house?
3: Come on, don't be shy. I've got a question. Does this is work? As I said to you earlier, I love the Rich Kids album. Are any songs on that album that you think in a different life might have ended up on, never mind the bollocks? Um,
6: a couple, maybe. The, the, the s- single Rich Kids, I mean, not with those words, because John wouldn't have sung that, but the music would have done, and there was a song, Hung On You, which is on the album, which maybe I started writing, right at the tail end of my original tenure, with the right, Pistols, right, right. you know. But I mean, the thing is, you know, everybody in the band's gone on to do different things of, different degrees of success and accomplishment, but I think if somehow we'd kept it together, we could have been pretty darn good, really, but maybe, you know, it had a built-in shelf life just with the nature of the people. And well, I always see it as like a kind of a, two kind of,
3: well, the people
6: coming together, you know, and where, and they cross, and they're not supposed to hit, but we actually hit, and there was a big explosion, which was punk. And then the train sort of went off in the different directions. Anyone else? What are you up to now, Glenn? What am I up to now? Well, quite a lot. Yeah, I was played last night at the Andrew Club with my band. I've got an album out called Consequences Coming. And I'm also playing with, with Blondie. I'm, I'm the, well, you're both oh, playing that, game, yes. aren't you? Yes. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon, yeah. So we're playing with Iggy and Blondie at, well, Iggy, Blondie generation sex which is Stephen paul and billy idol it, 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 and it, it, oh, you're doing it. As well? yeah, yeah, doing it as well yeah yeah, yeah. so all, we got all the old muckers doing <laughs>
1: it. and you've got a, vi- a color vinyl of anarchy coming out isn't it Do you know
2: about i don't that? know about that
6: probably doesn't know about that they're always flogging the at that yes, yeah, oh, <laughs> i don't necessarily well, actually, okay thanks so
2: i just let you know yes you have okay
6: <laughs> what what color I think this day and age a coloured one would be black, wouldn't it? No, that'd, <laughs> that'd be really unusual. Yellow That's yellow's intellectual.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thank you. And listen I mean, round of applause, please. Thank you. Thank you. Glenn and Steve. Wow. That was amazing. Brilliant. Amazing. Thank you. Um, you know, I, just do you know one of the things we always mention is prog. and you know there is a prog connection. Uh oh. Prog. Keith Levine. A... Yes. Was oh, in he, the Clash, and he was Alan White's roadie for Yes.
6: I know. He was proud of it. He told me. <laughs> and not only that, Lemmy from Motorhead was a roadie for Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And when <laughs> Keith Emerson used to put a knife to, you know. Sort of pretending happened, he was stabbing yeah. the thing to hold the key down, and he only kind of did it gently, really. But it looked good. Lemmy had a go of him and he said, Don't do that. And he said, Well, I'm only doing it sort of gently, but the audience don't know that. He said, No, if you're going to use a knife, use a knife. And he pulled out a Hitler knife bayonet and gave it to him. And that was Lemmy. <laughs>
1: We're got to say uh, thank you uh, to all the people who have helped us tonight, right? All the people who have helped us. Who's helped us?
3: Gary Crowley. Yay, DJ. Yay. And DJ Gary Crowley. Come we on. We love on. Gary Crowley. Yeah, there he is.
1: I've known Gary since 1977, 78. Wow. And uh,
2: Steve Dagger and Steve Woolley for fantastic um, yeah. contribution. Yeah. contribution.
1: Uh, John, John Martin for helping with the production. Everybody from every man who are uh, have, have now run this cinema and and as ever ben
2: jones our producer gimme sugar gimme sugar productions and
1: ian who's here tonight thank you so uh yeah wow that wasn't too bad our first live show i hope we uh can do these again we're going to try and it's all down to the guests obviously and these two have been absolutely amazing yes once more
6: thank you thanks for having us
1: and it's good night from me it's good night from them